everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to go on an artistic photographic journey to all seven continents and then count down the top five kinds of cheese. And I just fell in love with the mountains and the possibilities for exploration. Uh, eventually, I realized that photography just really made those outdoor experiences even more powerful. That there's a danger in in a creative sense. There's a danger going to those places that you're just going to repeat, you know, sort of microwave what you've seen online a million times, as opposed to create something that is more you. It's you know the mountains are dangerous and they send you constant reminders of that. I was on a glacier in Jasper Jasper National Park, and there was this huge avalanche coming down, the biggest I've ever seen. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. It really helps us out. We really appreciate it. Our first guest is an artist. I don't think people necessarily immediately think about photography as an artistic expression, but our first guest absolutely captures the artistic side of it because some of the pictures that he takes and the places that he takes them from are just incredible. And he has this really fascinating story about not just pursuing what it is that you're really passionate about, in some cases taking years, years to take one photograph. This is Paul Ziska. So for you, what kind of inspired the career path? Was it a love of photography or love of the outdoors? It was first and foremost a love for the outdoors. I moved, I'm, I'm from eastern Canada, and I came out to check out the mountains like every easterner does at some point in their teenage years. And I just fell in love with the mountains and the possibilities for exploration. And right away I thought, okay, I, I need to make a life here. And if I'm going to make a life here, how can I be outside as much as possible. And so I narrowed it down to a few career paths, such as guiding and photography. And uh, eventually, I realized that photography just really made those outdoor experiences even more powerful. And so I, uh, it, it just became sort of the obvious way forward for me at that point. Were you good right from the bat? Or was it something that you really, really had to work on? I had, um, I was a good observer i i would get the odd comment you know when i would share images i would get the odd comment from people saying oh, you know you should maybe consider taking this a little bit more seriously you have a good eye you 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 sort of provide an interesting perspective on things and i didn't take any of that um too seriously you know when when friends and family tell you you're good at something they're they're not you know they're always a little bit biased mostly i think i was I was driven more than more than I was a talented photographer. I think I just once I set my eyes on that as a career path, I just wanted it really badly and I kind of I think that that sort of proved more useful to me than any kind of natural talent initially. You know, we we've interviewed a number of people on this podcast and a number of our listeners seem to have kind of struggled with that same kind of question about like how do I how do I really know when to pursue something? Was it something that just kind of clicked, or how did you know that this was something you could do? I knew that I the, the the passion would the passion was there. That was that was clear. I absolutely loved going out there, and especially once I realized that 
photography could be so much more than documenting that that it could be a creative outlet and I could have an impact on other people through a body of work and all that that became, quickly became addictive then it then it was more of a matter of you know how can I make it how can I make it make a living of it uh, without starting to hate what I'm doing and because I only had myself to worry about at that time I didn't really need too much of an income to make it work so I sort of saved up and uh, saved up some money so I was able to kind of ditch everything else and live and breathe photography and do just that for a full year and take lots of bad photos and experiment and go out and figure it out for myself. And uh, as I was doing that, I started to monetize a little bit and I realized that at least for, you know, for just uh, a guy living sort of on his own at the time, that that would be enough to, to make things work. I was able to cobble living together. And, uh, eventually, you know, I got married and have kids now. So I, I was, I found other sources of income and, and other ways to generate revenue that support us as a family. And I, I don't hate it yet. So it's, I think it's working out okay. Are you mainly trying to go to places and explore places that maybe people haven't ph photographed before? Or are you trying to take more unique images of, I don't mean this word, but pop, more popular places? For me, photography is very much tied to curiosity and exploration. And actually, I would probably put exploration ahead of the, ahead of photography even. So I, I like to go out there and explore first and foremost. If I get, if I, if it, if it gets me to places where nobody goes, then, then that's great. If I get good images out of it, that that's sort of a convenient byproduct. But, I found that my happy place is when I explore and when I go somewhere that I've never really set eyes on. So that's, that's usually my primary goal. And then I, then after the fact, I'll try to, if I do get some good images, I'll try to monetize in one way or another. I don't, I don't sort of, um, I don't avoid the iconic locations. I live in a place where there's a lot of those sort of trophy shots that people come and shoot repeatedly. And they do, people go to those places for a reason. Those places are absolutely fantastic, incredibly photogenic. Um, that there's a danger in, in a creative sense, there's a danger going to those places that you're just going to repeat, you know, sort of microwave what you've seen online a million times as opposed to create something that is more you. And you, those places sort of encourage you to stray from your creative path and your own voice a little bit. And I think it's, that's where it's, it becomes a, uh, a real challenge. How do you how do you pursue that creative voice and you don't sell out, but still find a way to to monetize in the end? It's a delicate dance for sure, and it's I think it's something that all photographers struggle with. And there's days where you 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 do the dance very well, and days where you struggle a little bit more. You instruct people a lot. What's the mistake that people are usually making? That's an excellent question. The, the mistake that people are usually making is. So one, well, one of the most common mistakes I think I just I just sort of touched on is they go to a place and their main goal is to recreate something that that they've already seen someone do. And emulation is part of the creative process. You know, I think it's it's um, it's a very natural thing to do. I sure just 
you know, went out there and tried to recreate images that others took when I first started, definitely. But I think a mistake that a lot of people take, especially, uh, make, especially in this age of social media, is that they, they get stuck at that step and they have trouble moving beyond that and creating a body of work that's truly theirs. Um, so that's, that's one thing that, that's one mistake I can think of that people make. And also, I think is just, People don't commit the time uh, as much as they used to, I think, in terms of, you know, connecting with nature, getting a real sense of place. I, I live in a place that sees huge amount of visitation, millions and millions of people every year. And it seems like increasingly people, including photographers, are just in a rush to move on to the next thing and to they try to fit in as man, as much as they can in their itinerary, which doesn't really allow for to work as a photographer doesn't allow you to work with intent and to commit, you know, the time that it takes to create really next level images. So I'd say those are the main two mistakes that, that I see people making in my field. What's the longest that you've ever spent taking one picture? Well, there's pictures that I've visualized, I've pre-visualized and it took years, you know, for the right conditions to align and to allow those images to come to be in terms of, you know, being in on location and waiting it out, I would say, you know, probably, probably hours just sitting by the tripod and waiting for things to come together, waiting, waiting for, waiting for the aurora to come out, maybe the clouds to move out of the way or just to, um, just, just getting into position and preemptively and waiting for just darkness to come. Uh, there's also, you know, there's, of course, there's photos that required a little bit more physical work. So just getting to the location may have taken hours or days. Uh, but there's definitely some. Now, having said that, not not all the images that I'm proud of required that kind of commitment. There's images where, you know, I was driving around and the light was amazing. I pulled over, I took the shot and I went home and it didn't have to break a sweat. So the a, mi- a mix of uh a mix of the two, but uh, I think the more you shoot, the more you realize that great images take commitment. Sometimes you're just going to have to really put in the work and uh, commit a lot of time for your vision to um, to materialize. Is it more technical skill or is it more just having the eye to find kind of a unique composition? I think the technical side of things, that becomes second nature pretty early in your journey as a photographer. You know, if you shoot a lot, after a year or two, I think you're, you don't really think about the techie stuff nearly as much. It, it's, it just sort of happens and um, it's not something that makes you pause a lot in the field or anything. What, once, once you've acquired that sort of, um, th- that kind of second nature skill, um, then I think it's, it's really, what makes you progress as a photographer is really the more abstract stuff like, yeah, like, like your, your own vision and being able to anticipate possibilities and being able to, um, being able to work with intent, I think is a big one as opposed to just trying to just, as opposed to being scattered. I think I was a lot, I know I was a lot more scattered when I first started and now I work, I work with a lot more intention and, I do, the more I shoot, the less I shoot in the sense that I, the camera stays in the bag a lot more than it used to, just because you're, you're always looking for, for the extraordinary and your standards sort of get, get better and better. So I think, you know, the technical stuff, once you're a few years into it, it's not really what 
bogs you down. It's not the limiting factor for anyone. I think the limiting factor is how am I going to get the body of work that is that is my own and that that sort of stands out. How do you feel when somebody just assumes that it, your pictures are good because you have a really nice camera? I think that's I, I'd say it's flattering, really. If you've been in the industry, if you've been a photographer for a while, um, you heard, you've heard that one so so many times that you feel a little bit immune to it. But I think it's a great opportunity to educate people and to just put a, put a positive spin on things and let people know that um, you know it's really not. I'd, I'd be lying if I said gear doesn't make a difference. It does. It does really help, but really, it's one of so many factors involved in the making of a great image. And then, usually, when I point that out, people, yeah, they 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 get it. Do you have kind of a basic philosophy when it comes to photography? I put the experience ahead of the the art. I would say I've been guilty many times, especially when I started. I was guilty of going out with a specific image in mind and I was tunnel visioned into seeing that image come to life. And I refused to accept that the conditions didn't really align for that image to come to exist. And because say I would go to a place and I didn't get the beautiful light or the nice colors I was hoping for, I would go home disappointed, which after a while I I thought was, was really a shame because you know, I thought, well, how is it that I can go to a place where millions of people dream to go once in their life and I come home with a negative experience? I owe it to the rest of the world to not do that. And then I realized, well, that's because I put the results ahead of the experience. And I think as the years went by, I started putting the experience ahead of everything else and seeing the photos more as a, as a byproduct, you know, seeing, you know, going out there, making sure that Making sure that, you know, every day in the mountains is a good day. Any, so just any sunrise by a lake is, is a good experience. And if I get, if I get the photos to show for it, that's great. But I can't, I can't afford to come home with a negative experience from that. So I think if you, if you put the experience ahead of the, the photographs and sort of the, 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 the journey, the whole experience ahead of the, the results, then, then you win every time. And that's the philosophy I try to abide by. For you, like, what would you say is your best photography experience? Like the thing that jumps out to you time and time again? Oh, gosh, it's hard to pick just one. But in a general way, I would say the best photo experiences I've had are the ones where I've been able to have both both an experience, both both memories that, that are still vivid to me, as well as some photos that I look back on, you know, five, ten years later, Photos I look at and, and they take me, they take me right back to a specific moment and they stand the test of time. Technically, they're strong. So not only do they just, you know, sort of allow me to relive those moments, but technically they're images that are compelling, that are, that stir up emotion, not just in me, but in other people as well. I think if I've had the experience and photos that have that kind of quality, then then those those will those experience uh, those are the more powerful moments that I've had in my career. Have you ever felt like you've gone too far for a photo, so to speak? Like, have you ever put yourself in a situation that, looking back on, like, ooh, I maybe shouldn't have done that? 
Absolutely, yeah, for sure. I live I live in the mountains, and I spend a lot of time in you know in in sort of remote areas, in places where there's a little bit of objective hazard. And more than once, I've taken a photo or ended up not taking it, and uh, drove home or sort of walked away from the location, thinking, "Yeah, that was not the smartest moment." Um, the smartest decision of my life to sort of try to make that image happen. Sometimes you get so caught up in the process that it you you can kind of lose track of the danger. You know, if you're into mountaineering photography, well, there's inherent dangers, and if you if you play in the mountains and photograph in the mountains long enough, well, you're you're just uh, you know it's always always a bit of a gamble. I mean, is it dangerous just because of? like avalanche or you're like on the side of a cliff or what is it about it yeah you know there's there's objective hazards like like avalanche rockfall you know if you do if you're if you head out on the glaciers you've got the crevasses they're always uh, a potential danger um just exposure in general just the elements getting lost um yeah falling repelling accidents i mean the mountains the mountains are dangerous and uh it's you know the mountains are dangerous and they send you constant reminders of that you've been to all seven continents i have yeah which one kind of stands out to you gosh that's a great question i'd say the one that stands out the most is probably antarctica just because there's really nowhere else there's nowhere else like it that kind of offers that that sort of feeling of remoteness and that end of the world feel where it feels like if you go a little too far, a little further, you're just going to fall off the planet almost. Um, I, I, f- I felt like I felt so far away from and so cut off from the world the times that I've gone to Antarctica and just just the, the sheer beauty and just being able to wit- being able to witness what the what the wildlife can do if it's left alone and and um to do to do what it want what what it would naturally do it's just really eye-opening so i i feel like nothing nothing really compares to antarctica i my favorite place outside of the rockies um it's, it's probably greenland so i would say if i can just single out greenland from the rest of europe that's probably the place that that has the most that that's most magnetic magnetic for me because um it's got so much untapped photo potential so much wilderness and it doesn't have the restrictions that antarctica has so you you're sort of you're you're free to explore at your own risk and and just create at your own risk in in greenland and there's no boundaries that way so that's that's a place that you know if greenland was a continent it was it would come out ahead of everything else but otherwise antarctica is pretty special too are you ready for the harder-slash-listener-submitted questions? Absolutely. Fire away. How do you feel about extensive editing of photos? Like, do you feel like that's cheating? Do you feel like that's straight photography? Or do you feel like that's a, more of an art composition thing? I think the most important thing is to know where you stand for yourself and to be open about your process. When people ask, um, I have nothing against people who do composite work. You know, I, it's not it's not my thing, um, or what you what some people would call illustrations. You know, where maybe um, you know you borrow 
you borrow a, a full moon from Banff and you you add some aurora from Greenland and a landscape from Mongolia or something. Um, you know, it can lead to beautiful results if it's done right. There's lots of people doing an amazing job at it. I just know it's not it's not for me. And for me, a, a lot of the a lot of the joy in photography comes from the chase and trying to put yourself in a position where those incredible moments will align in front of you in nature. And, and that's what kind of keeps me going out there. And I think if I was to put those moments together, you know, in front of the computer at home, I think the, 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 uh, the art form would lose some of its appeal for me, but I, there's, there's people lied to somewhere different on that spectrum somewhere different than i'm standing i totally respect that some people are more purists and they will not do any editing at all i think i'm I'm somewhere in the middle but i've been trying to be very open about my process but for me i would only create images where you know the elements you see in the shot are the elements that were there at the time now i might do a little bit of a little bit of blending or change you know adjusting contrast and but i i think overall ethically i'm i'm probably somewhere in the middle of the the spectrum do you have to kind of when you're doing this you know adventure mountain photography do you have to have a lot of other kind of skills like rock climbing and mountaineering and stuff like that it certainly opens up a lot of possibilities to be able to get to get to those those places and to be able to access those angles but i mean there's a lot of people who shoot in the in the mountains full time and they do exclusively roadside photography and their body of work is absolutely incredible so you definitely don't need to get into all those activities in order to create good mountain imagery but there's certain angles certain perspectives that you can only you can you'll only be able to document if you if you learn the basic you know if you learn mountaineering and glacier travel and travel and, and, and if you're able to travel through steep rock, ice and snow. Biggest shot that you missed. Oh, um, there was, there was a huge, I remember I was on the, um, I was on a glacier in Jasper, Jasper national park. And there was this huge avalanche coming down the biggest I've ever seen on snow dome. And I had, uh, I had a fellow photographer I was getting out with on a moraine in front of me and right away my brain kind of identified the you know the composition as having this huge amount of potential and I I had you know of course it was one of those moments where I had the uh, I had the wide lens on and then I thought oh my gosh I should really switch to telephoto that would be the shot of the year for me and I just thought, well, by the time I switch to telephoto, the moment will be gone. And unfortunately, it was one of those moments where I hesitated for like three seconds before I switched it on. And then I realized that the thing would actually have gone on for long enough for me to get the shot, but I didn't pull the trigger <laughs> early enough. And there's, there's a lot of those, there's a lot of those moments where, you know, that, that remind you that maybe you're not quite as ready and adaptable a photographer as you think you are, even though you've been doing it for a while, you're, you're reminded that there's, there's always room for improvement. And I think part of it is just, you know, you have to be able to uh, appreciate a scene with your own eyes, as opposed to just seeing it through the camera all the time. And I think any sort of more experienced photographer will, will, will 
that's something that you'll hear from a lot of experienced photographers that sometimes it's just accepting that, you know, I'm not even going to bother. I miss this and I'm just going to take it in with my own eyes and just go home with a memory. That for somebody who's getting into photography, they're thinking about getting a camera or something like, not something like that, but they're thinking about getting a camera. I mean, is there something about it that they should look for? Like you should get this kind, you should stay away from this. Oh gosh, I think I think you're better off just going out there with a camera that's pretty basic, that doesn't require a, a huge financial commitment, and just take the time to figure out what appeals to you, what what genres of photography you're really drawn to, and then you know if you figure out, okay, I'm, I absolutely love astrophotography, then go drop you know a little bit of money on a on a really good fast lens or a camera that shoots well at at high ISO or you know if you're drawn to portraits go get a great lighting kit but um I think so many people pour thousands of dollars in you know I often teach people who are just starting and their gear is way better than mine uh and they they they're, they have yet to figure out where their passion really lies within the realm of photography so I would say you know at first you really don't need a good a good setup to to figure out what you what you're really drawn to how do you feel when people take pictures with an iPad? <laughs> oh gosh. You know, I think whatever whatever device you have at your disposal is fine with me. I don't judge people who have iPads. Um it's there's just you can take absolutely beautiful photos with an iPad. There's just no way to be elegant doing it. That's the only thing. But if people are okay with that, then that's fine with me. <laughs> Every my dad does it, and every time I see him, I'm like, "Damn it, Dad! <laughs> stop, stop doing that crap!" <laughs> I know, eh? Yeah, it's amazing. You can spot the iPad from from a kilometer away. There's just yeah, there's just no, uh, there's no way you can look like a cutting edge, you know, a badass photographer with an iPad in your hand. That's pretty much all the questions I got. Is there anything else that you think we missed? What's coming up next for you? What's coming up next? You know, we're just waiting for the dust to settle on this whole pandemic thing, really. I think nobody really knows what the world of photography is going to look like on the other side of this. So what what we're doing at our end is just trying to be ready to um trying to be ready to act and respond quickly once we're once we have a glimpse into what that new landscape what the landscape of the photo world would look like. But for now, we're just kind of being patient and just catching up on those those projects that have been on the back burner for a long time. I think that's what a lot of photographers do, and we're, we're going to be ready to hit the ground running when the, the earth starts to spin again. I want to thank Paul so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You have to check out his Instagram. Just to see these pictures. Like there's a lot of good pictures on Instagram. And then there's his pictures, which are a whole new level. And they're so inspiring because, yeah, these places that he goes to are a little bit difficult to get to. Maybe really difficult to get to, but they're not impossible. Like you can get there too. So it's such a great, it's such a great source of inspiration, I think. Okay. Now let's go ahead and give John Shull a call. Hello? 
when you talk about sex with your wife, do you refer to it as sex or do you try to use a code word or something? No, we're pretty boring. It's usually just sex. Okay. We're, we're to that point in our lives, you know, mid-30s, you know, it's sex is sex. So I don't you, think I've ever called that anything other than sex. I've never gone up to anybody, and especially my wife, and been like, hey, you want to go do the diddly? You've never been like, you want to go cuddle? You want to go watch um, Netflix? You've always just been I, in like, I, would I you like to cuddle, have sex? Actually, that's, that's, that's a downfall my wife would love to get on here and tell you about. You don't cuddle at all? Uh, maybe sit on the couch together and she can like lay on me, you know, like, like, I guess like that's cuddling, but like, I don't, it, it never goes anywhere further than that. Like, it's not like a code word, like cuddle, AKA sex. You know what I mean? Look, I don't want to get too much into this, but so like after the tender act of lovemaking, you're just, you're just walking away. You just like go, <laughs> I got to take out the trash. Games on. Well, I mean, after it's, you know, it's usually bedtime. It's usually roll over and go to sleep. I'll see you in the morning. Wow. You're such a sensitive man, too. For, for, <laughs> I, don't, I, I wouldn't say I'm overly sensitive. You wake up early to make your wife her lunch for the day. That's pretty sensitive. I'm not knocking it. I'm just surprised. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't say that's sensitive. I just think that's being smart because I fuck up all the time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Touche. Touche. Do you feel like you've wasted most of your money? <laughs> I've actually tried to do the math, and I know it's wrong, but I, I've probably spent a good, solid five-digit number on useless things in my, my life so far. And I'm, like, early 30s. I, I don't buy a lot of crap. I really don't. I wouldn't say that I've wasted – I probably wasted 25% of my disposable income. What do you? How much do you think you've wasted? Before I got married, uh, probably 80%. Nice. nice. I mean – and I'm probably wrong on that number, but you, know, you figure I was paying rent, car payment, insurance, that stuff. But other than that, I was just going to the bar. And though I have great memories – it's like maybe I should have been saving some money uh, instead of buying, you know, seven shots for four girls that did them and then walked away. Yeah, I remember watching that. They did, <laughs> they did not stick around to be with you in any way. And uh, <laughs> I remember. Well, like, you know, you, you never helped this. For, for anyone who doesn't know Nick uh, and who doesn't care to know, Nick is the worst wingman uh, ever. Uh, there were multiple instances where he would walk up to a, a girl, not that I was ever interested in them, but he would say something very rude to them about me. That was not really true, and uh, that really ruined any any chance of anything. So thank you for that. I don't see how it was rude. I was merely asking them to rate your attractiveness on a scale of <laughs> 1 to 10. If you, did, if you didn't like the answer, that's not my fault. It's not inherently rude. It's really, if you think about it, it's just a subjective question, right? It's it's actually I'm giving you knowledge. Really, you should be thanking me for this entire thing. Okay, so let me ask you this: one of our one of our favorite listeners, Logan, sent us this thing, in which basically you have to make a really difficult decision, right? So there's 
you, you can choose. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this. Let me see if I can actually have some sort of coherent thought. Okay, here we go. Start over. So one of our one of our longtime listeners, Logan, sent us this thing, and basically, you need to choose two of these things to protect you. The rest are going to try and kill you. And the things that you're choosing, you can choose two of these: one person, three bears, four lions, five gorillas, ten alligators, fifteen wolves, fifty eagles, or ten thousand rats. We have this up on our Facebook page and our Twitter page too. If you want to check this out, what would you what what would you choose to protect you? Protecting me would for sure be the eagles and the gorillas, because um, I think it's smart to have uh, you know. The air covered, and obviously gorillas are just badasses. Uh, you know, they'd have the ground attack covered. Now, do I have any means of escape, or am I just, like, on foot? You just got to survive. Oh, fuck. Um, See, initially, I was going to go with the wolves and the gor- and the gorillas. But then I thought about how many rats 10,000 rats is. I think you're pretty much, you have to go with the rats. Because 10,000 is a fucking lot of rats. Like, just imagine 10,000 rats coming after you. That is a lot of rats. Yeah. Okay, so the answer is 10,000 rats. And basically, it doesn't even matter what the other ones are. There's just too many of them. I, I don't know, though. If you, if you find a good vantage point and, the, and you have 50 eagles, I feel like 50 eagles could take care of a lot of those rats over the course of, like, three days. Yeah, but... Eventually, they're going to get you. Like, there's no way you can beat the 10,000 rats. If you have the eagles and I have the gorillas that, you know, surrounding me, you stand a decent chance. I'm Not probably a- wrong. 20,000 rats is a hell of a lot of rats. But, I mean, people in New York City seem to be doing just fine. Hey-o. That's rude. I don't appreciate <laughs> I you. That's, that's where my mom is from. I don't appreciate you taking shots at me like that. Um, are you ready? <laughs> are you ready to move on? Your mom's not from Kansas? No, dude. She's from New York. Oh. Dick. Well, that explains why she's awesome and you're not. Uh, yeah, let's move on. Uh, let's give some shout-outs. By the way, I'm wearing my Profoundly Pointless t-shirt. <gasps> Are you which... really? I'm wearing mine, too, right now. <laughs> which I have I have to give you some credit. Uh, there, It's fantastic. Go to ProfoundlyPointless.com. Check it out. It's under the Merchandise tab. Um I mean, I really don't know what else to say about it. It's it's a, a very good T-shirt. Like it's super soft, and you'll think of us when you're wearing it. What else would you want? Um, probably to not. Anyways, th- probably to uh, not <laughs> think of us when they're wearing it. Legitimately, it's like really soft. I mean, people who've gotten them, they'd be like, "Wow, you weren't lying. That's a really fucking nice T-shirt." Like, yeah, it's it's legit quality. It's I no bullshit. It is a very nice T-shirt. Like you, you don't have a T-shirt this nice. Are you okay when you put it on the for the first time? Like when you check yourself out in the mirror, you go in front view first, you gonna go side view, or you gonna kinda try to like look over your and see how your back sees? Like what are you checking out first <laughs> to make sure that's looking okay? I, I'm putting it on in the bedroom and just not trying to look at myself in the mirror at this point. Okay. You've hit that <laughs> all right. Well you hit that level, let's just move on. I'm like, maybe I'll be in the car, you know, and like I, I try to pretend I'm looking in the rear view mirror. So the so it's kind of distorted and I just see like a half side of me and I'm like, oh, that's not that bad. Okay. So the mirror is distorted. Is it a little tight? <laughs> uh, you know, no, it actually isn't because it's like that. 
not that stretchy fabric, but like it's just like that nice, comfortable fabric. So uh, it's good. It's a great t-shirt. Nylon. I don't know if that's it or not. I have no idea. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Anyways, here's some shout-outs for you. Appreciate everyone once again. Uh, some good social media presence. Check us out, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, Derek and Kat, Stuart, Mike, Martin, Armando, Shelby, Charlotte, James, Joel, and Aiden. Appreciate you all. You're the uh, special winners and of uh, hearing my voice say your name. So give yourself a, a, a round of applause when you hear this. Okay. I have a complaint about when you do this. Okay. Whenever you do it, I can't tell. You're not like separating the names. And I can't tell if somebody's name is like that's the first name and the last name. Is that two different names? You'll do this thing where you'd be like Logan Marcus. And is that two people or is that one person? I mean, I can start including uh, last names. You just you want me to you like it? No, I just want it. I, to... I like it fast, but it like I just get confused if that's one person's name or if that's like a first and a last name, or what's going on. Well, I I, I try to pick five names for each social media that we have. So okay, okay, it's, okay. It's different. It's different names. Um. Yeah, we got it. We can move on. Next week it'll be much slower. You need to be nicer, by the way. I just – I'm not being mean. Look, it's how you're taking it. I'm not being mean. I'm simply I, pointing out an observation. Uh, listen, constructive criticism taken, good sir. No problem. Hold on while I crack another beer because I have to de- deal with you. Did you actually open a beer? Yeah, that's my thing. I drink a beer while recording this, and now I have a T-shirt to wear with the show. What are you drinking? One of the best breweries in Michigan, a Founders Civilized Brute IPA. Oh, okay. I was going to go with Milwaukee's best, but... No, I don't drink shit beer. Bushlight, don't you dare fucking insult my childhood by mentioning the names of either Bushlight or Natty Light in a derogative way. How dare you? I... I, <laughs> I you know what? I don't care if I offend anyone with this. Th- those are... That is piss water. No, I mean, everybody knows it is, but you just drink it because it's cheap and you could get it easily when you're underage. Yeah, let's let's move on here. So uh, a lot of, lot of whoop you do about this documentary that you just finished up about Michael Jordan on ESPN. So I, I want to know, who would you choose in a Game 7 of the NBA Finals, LeBron or Michael Jordan? I don't know who statistically is actually better in terms of making the last shot. I think you'd have to choose Michael Jordan simply because I haven't seen the documentary, but just from hearing about his personality, like he's basically an asshole. Like he's just, he refuses to lose so badly. Like he's such a dick about it that he would, he would just will himself there. And I don't think it's as important to LeBron, who I know personally. <laughs> Did you shake his hand at a press event one time? I walked by him once. <laughs> He's really I'm sure big. He's a mountain of a man too compared to you. If you've never seen like NBA players close up, which I used to work as a reporter, so you see a lot of people when they come for big events, it's fucking unbelievable. Like holy shit, cuz you think that they're thinner? Like you obviously know that they're tall, but when you see them in terms of just like their thickness, they're huge people. Just all around huge people. Yeah. Especially I, uh, I remember the, the time I met Shaq in Orlando, and I uh, i don't think I've ever met a bigger human being in my entire life. And he can run, jump, and do everything better, faster than I can. And he probably has 100 pounds on me. 
Well, back mm. then, maybe. I don't think he does anymore, dude. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so either. I'm not, <laughs> that quarantine 15 turned into about quarantine 40 for me, so it's mm. fine. Would you rather be happy forever or have more money than what you knew what to do with and be unhappy? Well, happy forever, dude. Who the fuck know, wants to be miserable I forever? Just, I wonder if I would just rather have more money and be unhappy some days. Yeah, but um, you wouldn't. You'd rather be unhappy and have money. Like, dude, the world is full of those people. They fucking hate it. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, are you afraid more of success or failure? Oh, that's kind of like a deep philosophical question. I think most people would say that they're more afraid of failure. But again, from the former career, interviewing somebody that suddenly has success, that's actually pretty scary. Like think about it if something you were doing suddenly really succeeded. Like what would you really do? Like, oh, fuck. Like, okay, for example, think about these T-shirts that we've been making. Not to keep bringing this up, but just as an example. Like what if we suddenly sold a million of them? We'd be fucked. Like, what the fuck are we going to do? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, it gets into, uh, you would be able to handle it, but you'd have to adapt, obviously. I don't think it, we would be. I don't, I think we would be fucked. Like, oh my God. So if red people hate us who are listening to this, buy a bunch of t-shirts and we'd be fucked. <laughs> You'd never hear from us again because we'd have to run to another country because we wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> Because we pro- all right, so you have to get another company involved to like handle all the orders, but we priced it really cheap. Like we basically priced it for cost, and then to have that other company fill all those orders, we would probably end up losing money, which we don't have. We'd be fucked. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, without capital, right? You're not going to make any. So if you're just doing everything for cost, like you just said, we're the ones getting fucked for the enjoyment of everybody else. What mm-hmm. else is new? I basically the whole point of this is that I think success can actually be more scarier than failure. That's why you should just go ahead and try no matter what. You know, Nick, you're going to be a great, uh, you know, little league basketball coach someday. I hope so. <laughs> hopefully, I get hopefully I get one of those lowered rims and I can still dunk. Oh, just put a fucking eighth grader into the ground on an eight foot dunk. Get an eight-foot rim. I actually probably had to be like seven feet now at this point in my life. But still, windmilling him, just crush a child's hopes and dreams right then and there. <laughs> just, that, just that practice. Just put him up underneath the, the rim and just dunk on him. Just back him down and take his soul. <laughs> I do. Uh, I, well, we are uh, we're terrible people. I will say this. Uh, my three-year-old son, almost four, loves to race. And I refuse to lose and try to crush him as badly as possible. <laughs> and now he won't race me anymore. But I'm not taking – I'm not – there's no easy buckets, man. But, I mean, listen, my father used to stand on our front yard and tell me to put my baseball glove up. He was going to play catch with me, and then he would throw the ball as hard as he could at me. And I moved out of the way because I didn't want to catch it. I'd have to run two blocks to get the baseball. And then when I came back, all that would be there was a cigarette butt. I understand. No, your dad's a nice guy. I like him. Uh, are you ready? Are we? Are we at our top five? Uh, yes, and I. I'm curious to see what your what your choices are. So please intro it as elegantly as you can. So our top five is top five kinds of cheese, which ended up being a lot. Like when you really think about it, like oh man, 
There's a lot yeah. of good cheeses. I feel like I actually just have five things that could be number one. I have about, yeah, I have, well, I have like nine choices that I want to fit onto the list, but I'm only choosing five, so. Okay, what's your number five? Uh, goat cheese. Go fuck yourself. Ugh. Goat That's, cheese is fucking delicious. It's disgusting. Don't hate on goat cheese until you've actually had it. It is delicious. I've had goat cheese, dude. It's not some kind of crazy delicacy that costs $100,000 and you have to go to the fanciest restaurant on the top of Mount Everest to get it. Like, I've had goat cheese, dude. You haven't lived my life. Don't talk to me about goat cheese, son. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> Then you should have some respect for goat cheese because it's delicious. That's that's the only cheese I actually think is bad. I think it's gross. I hate the taste of goat cheese. I feel that way about blue cheese. So really, uh, my number five is uh, Fermunda. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know what that is. You've never had Fermunda cheese. <laughs> is this a joke? From, <laughs> from, from under? under where? From under cheese? <laughs> <laughs> oh, growing up in Kansas is a fun time, let me tell you. <laughs> no, it's Pepper Jack. Number five is Pepper Jack for me. <laughs> okay, I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. I've never heard of from under cheese. Um, for people who don't know, from under cheese is like when you scratch your balls and then you wipe it on somebody. That's from under cheese. Look, Derby, Kansas is Derby, Kansas is a cool place, man. Come hang out. Lots of lots of fun stuff like that going on. Purple Pig, R.I.P. Um, it's Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, so I have Pepper Jack, but it's a little higher. Uh, my number four, I have Parmesan. Ooh, I got Parmesan as my number four too. Okay, that's good. That, that is one of those that I feel like it could be number one. Yeah, I would agree with that. But the only thing that that kept me from putting it higher on the list. Is I'm not gonna like ever sit down with a good piece of Parmesan, right? It's 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 an accessory cheese only. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I just feel like Parmesan cheese is probably, at least on my top five, probably like the most widely used cheese on the most dishes. Okay. All right, I'm not gonna question that at all, and let's just move <laughs> on to number three. Uh, so my number three—that's uh, where I put Pepper Jack. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, Pepper Jack's all right. It's definitely better than Monterey Jack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of like the, it's not a specialty cheese, but like not the basic kind. Like it has a little bit of different stuff. It's my favorites. But basically because it's spicy, that's it. Yeah, that's like pretty a, much it. Uh, my number three is mozzarella or mozzarella or however you're supposed to say it. The stuff that goes that, on pizzas. That's my number two. Ooh, Okay. My number two is blue cheese. Oh my god! Uh, blue you know cheese on a burger. Give you credit. Give you credit. That's pretty. Blue cheese is good, man. I love a good blue cheese. It's. I'm glad. I'm glad you do. It. Uh, I do not. So I'm, I'm glad that you do. What uh, are you, What are you going to use for dipping sauce on wings then? I mean, whatever. Well, I don't usually. I don't really do a lot of dipping sauces with wings. I like to eat them with whatever flavor they come in or whatever flavor flavor I order them. Okay. You don't do any that's okay. That's weird. Okay. <laughs> do I, mean, I, I don't like I don't like to uh this is gonna sound cliche, but like drown out the the, the flavor. Like if I get like teriyaki you know, whatever, garlic wings, I, I like to taste that. I don't like to dip it in blue cheese and just taste the blue cheese. Okay. 
So when you're shoving meat in your mouth, you really want to get a good, you really want to get a good feel for what that meat is actually like. Yeah, you have to, you know, especially when you're dealing with something that can be kind of small, you really want to get it in there and make sure that you get everything down to the bone. Not <laughs> when you did. God damn it. <laughs> I couldn't keep it going. Well, when you, look, when you take a bite, when you get, you know, a good piece of wing meat in your mouth, are you going to, you going to start with a little nibble? You're going to kind of give it a little lick to see what the flavor is. You're going to take a nibble. You're going to take the whole thing and like strip it off the bone. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, it's usually like I you eat wings in three pieces, so they're, they're usually pretty big pieces. Okay. All right. What's your number one? <laughs> uh, I have a feeling it's going to be the same one you put, but I put cheddar cheese. Wait a minute. Now, when you say cheddar cheese, though, are you really thinking of yellow American cheese? Or are you thinking of specifically actually cheddar cheese? Yeah, like actual cheddar cheese, not Kraft Singles. Okay, my number one is just the yellow American kind of generic cheese. That's that's my favorite. <laughs> like the kind that you can put outside for six years and it'll still be yellow American cheese? Yeah, uh, give me some processed stuff. I like the stuff that's not even really cheese. Like they don't, they can't actually call it cheese. No, I don't actually like that. But I just think of like that yellow American standard cheese is to me the best. It's the number one cheese just because it's so ubiquitous, right? Did you hear that fucking word I just used correctly? <laughs> uh, yeah, congratulations. You are a, uh, a scholar and a gentleman. K-State, baby. Honorable match time? Yeah, it is. Uh, I have Gouda Brie. Uh, I did put American cheese slices down. Uh, two that I wanted to put on my list, but I left off. Feta and cottage cheese. Oh, I was going to ask what your opinion of cottage cheese was. I like cottage cheese uh, a lot, actually. I, I I actually get disappointed because you buy like a little container of it and you go through it like in one sitting. Yeah, dude, that's probably why you that got that. That might have sounded like a real fat kid comment. Yeah, that. See, I, I'll go through like a cottage cheese phase, and maybe I'll eat a little bit of cottage cheese. I'll buy like a little thing. But then that that's one of those foods that the more you think about it, the grosser it is, right? Like you can't think about anything else while eating cottage cheese. Because if for any reason you got a mind slips over to like maggots, or you think of something <laughs> rotting, like you're fucking done. You're done. Wow. Well, anyone who is eating while listening to this just uh, either turn us off or is not eating till it's over. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I feel like cottage cheese is probably one of the grossest looking foods and consistency wise. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying like, ooh, if you think about it, that's hard to eat. <laughs> I, I've never thought that before, but uh, now you will. I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you, I suppose. But I, I, I don't. I just eat it. I don't really think about much else when I'm eating besides eating. Oh fuck. I was going to put nacho cheese up there. Yeah, I, th I thought about doing that, but then, you know, but I, I don't know. It's just, it's not like a top cheese. Like, it's not a podium cheese to me. I don't give a shit about Gouda. I could care Gouda. less. Is feta different than goat cheese? I thought feta was goat cheese. Not to my knowledge. I don't, I, if it is, you're the first person that's ever told me it is. And I've had lots of wine and cheese parties, okay? Have you really? 
I mean, not a lot. I've probably been to a, a half dozen in my my lifetime. Okay, fancy pants. Um, what's the most <laughs> you've ever? Trust my girlfriend. What's the most that you've ever? You have a wife. Okay, cool. <laughs> you got a wife and a girlfriend. That's fine. Do your thing. Probably, <laughs> probably shouldn't have just admitted that, but. <laughs> no, it was my my wife was my girlfriend at the time. Okay, sure, yeah. Anyways, what were you gonna ask? Oh, feta, no, dude, feta is goat cheese. Oh, oh all right, well, I, I mean that's news to me then. Feta and goat cheese. Oh, they're the same thing. Wait, maybe right, not. Well. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, they're not the same thing. Jesus Christ. And by the way, we uh, don't have a research assistant on this show, so that's why you get to play along the, the same way I do. Okay, here's the answer. Goat cheese is unsurprisingly made entirely with goat milk, while feta cheese can be made with sheep's milk. So they are different, even though I think they're basically the same thing. Maybe I love goat cheese and hate feta cheese. That could be the possibility. Let us know <laughs> if anybody cares about this. I doubt they do. All right. Give me a yes or a no on these kinds of cheeses. Feta. Okay. Yes. Blue. No. Cheddar. Yes. Brie. Yes. Camembert. No, because I don't know what it is. Asiago. Yes. Manchego. I'm going to say no because I'm sure you're not even saying it right. Probably. Uh, provolone? I guess so. Ricotta. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Gorgonzola. Yes. I mean, literally, what we're establishing here is I will say yes to any kind of cheese that I've heard of. Cream cheese. I forgot about cream cheese. Ooh, that's a, I forgot about cream cheese. Cream cheese pretty fucking good, man. Oh. I could eat tubs of cream cheese. It's like it's no one's business. What's the most you ever spent on a good cheese? Like a like a cheese and meat tray, or just one kind of cheese by itself. Either or, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> I mean, you asked the question. Um, probably fifty bucks on cheeses total. In wow! What were you going to a party? I was making a cheese and meat tray, so I was hosting a party. I think. How much cheese you get for fifty bucks? Probably not for enough for a good party. I mean, with eight people. It was enough for eight people. Most people come just to drink anyways, so. If I was doing that, I would just buy a 50, like a $50 worth of one kind of cheese. Like one of those big <laughs> wheel things you get at those fancy stores and just flop that sucker down with some natty light and some oh 10 God. high cheap ass whiskey and say, here you go. If you don't like it, there's the door. And that's probably why your door would be revolving a lot that night. That's why I'm a lonely man. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We're coming up on our 100th episode. We're thinking about doing something special for that, or we'll just do nothing and 